Welcome to Hardcore Penn State Football. Penn State beats Illinois 30-13. to Final first initial thoughts about that game, about what transpired on offense and defense. We'll get into some film room as well. And we're going to answer your fan questions that you dropped on Twitter and Instagram. So thank you for those. Some uh, some quick notes as well to talk about with Iowa. Some injury updates that we need to just preview a little bit. And we'll get into the show in just a second. Thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here. Make sure you're subscribed wherever you're listening to this podcast. Core Penn State football. I'm Corey Lestoki. With me, as always, the great Sean Kane. How are you doing today, Sean? Doing well, Corey. Doing well. I had back-to-back long nights. Uh, Saturday night, I, like a lot of the country, was watching the Colorado game. And last night, I was watching my, my Miami Dolphins uh, get a nice win over my Kosicki's Patriots. I know there were some disappointed Penn State fans uh, about the last play of that game, and I, I was not among them. Um, but yeah, back-to-back nights, uh, back-to-back victory days for me. Uh, I hope your NFL teams were were successful as well. And uh, yeah, lot to lot to digest from the game on Saturday. Well, that took you all of thirty seconds to talk about your Dolphins. Glad we got that out of the way early. Mm-hmm. You don't have to get there. If they actually like do really well I tied this year, Penn State in there in there though. If they do really well this year, I'm like honestly terrified as far as how awful you are going to be on this show. Like it's going to be terrible. Oh yeah. So um, get ready, everybody. <laughs> but yeah, that was a cool little play by Mike Seki. I'm not going to get there. Throw it back. That offensive lineman, in hindsight, probably should have thrown it back too. But um, whatever. That was that was cool to see. Regardless, it's smart play. Yeah. Penn State won, in case you didn't know, 30-13 to 13 over Illinois. Some fans were not satisfied with that. We had a lot of people on social media saying, that's not good enough, and Franklin needs to win 44-7 to seven in order to impress the, the college football playoff committee, et cetera, et cetera. 
we do not subscribe to such nonsense. And on the other side of the coin, people are also just not impressed with some of the uh, performances on Saturday with, with the Penn State. Um, not necessarily agree with that either, but we'll talk about kind of where Penn State is and where Penn State needs to be during this episode. So thank you guys all for being here. Shout out to Sam Williams on YouTube. He says, what's up? Watching from Scranton. Is that your friend? What's the name again? Sam Williams. I do not know a Sam Williams, but I am a fellow Scrantonian. So hello, Sam. This is turning into a Scranton show way too quickly. How about that. Um, but shout out to Sam. And uh, Sean, I just like you. I think you had a really good tweet on Saturday, Saturday afternoon, Saturday night regarding. Maybe pumping the brakes a little bit on Penn State, the, the the sky is falling, especially when you compare it to what else is going on around the college football landscape right now. Yeah, yeah, because look, okay, so you had two straight weeks of Penn State looking really good. I mean, you've, they beat West Virginia pretty handily. Uh, ask Pitt about West Virginia. They only scored six points on them. And yeah. So my point really was to look around. Florida State lost by two points to a pretty bad Boston College team. Georgia was down by 11 at halftime to a South Carolina team that they have much better players than. I think Shane Beamer's a decent coach, um, but they, they shouldn't be down 11 at home to South Carolina. You had uh, Ohio State ended up pulling away, but they were in a close game early with Western Kentucky. Iowa was tied at halftime, or I don't know if they were tied at halftime or it was a three-point game with the directional uh, Michigan school. And then you have Alabama tied 3-3 to going into the fourth quarter with South Florida. Not the Gators, not the Seminoles, South Florida. Not even the Golden Knights. So my point is, this is college football. This is how it's going to be sometime. You're not going to obliterate every team you play 50 to 7 because you have a five-star quarterback or, you know, you have uh, much better players there. Oh, this team, they lost to this team last week, so obviously we should win by 60. That, that That's not how it works. Football's still a game about matchups. And... Illinois was able to exploit some of their some of uh, some of the mismatches that they that they had on us, and it, it, it and they were able to have some benefit from that. Not enough, but um, they were able to they were able to have some success. So don't panic, guys. It's about getting a win in the conference. It was our starting quarterback's first start on the road in conference. And we won by 17 points. We covered the spread. We got out of there. The committee's not going to keep us out of the playoffs because we won by 17 at Illinois. I promise you that. There could be other reasons to keep us out. This win will not factor in, I promise you. And there also weren't as many red flags from this game, if any, um, as people seem to think there were. I, I really think people also need to understand... Where Penn State is in September is not really where they're going to be in end of October and November. Look at 2016 and where Penn State was at the end of September, you know, and then going into October, still barely beating teams like Minnesota, and they still went on that run that they did. 
in some aspects, you're kind of glad that Penn State isn't peaking right now uh, in the third week in September, that there are things that need to be improved on, that there are maybe some minor wake-up calls at certain positions, that they're still growing to be, you know, to be done. And I remind people, especially when it comes to quarterback progress, and I'm going to take this straight from Josh Pate at Late Kick Live, that progression is not just a straight line in that direction. It is more of a squiggly, wiggly line as it progresses over time. There are going to be valleys. There are going to be peaks along the way. It doesn't just all happen in 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 a simple and steady fashion. You are going to have dips. You are going to have rises and falls. That is progression. That is learning in anything you do. And this past game against Illinois, Penn State learned things. Penn State had some growing pains. And even with those growing pains, they still won very comfortably on the road in the Big Ten. That, to me, is the biggest thing. Uh, Previous years, Sean, if they had foiled those opportunities in the red zone on the road, if they would have had so many three and outs that they had, this could have been a game going into the fourth quarter. This could have even been a game, you know, that came down to a single possession. That's not the case with this squad for one reason or other, probably because their defense is really good, but also because their offense had enough playmakers to make enough big plays happen along the way. That to me is a sign of growth in its own right. This game happens, you know, heck maybe even in 2021, this game could be going down maybe to the, to the final possession or two. This game was over before the fourth quarter even started, even though Penn State didn't bring their a game. Illinois 2021. I mean, we after around the whole game, and we lost. Now, Illinois did a very good job that day of not losing the game themselves, and their quarterback threw four interceptions on Saturday. But that was also due in part to some of the stuff we did. I mean, okay, Abdul Carter's interception was kind of right to him. But but he still made the play. I mean, I remember, and we love Jaquan, he dropped an, inter- an easy interception in 2021 against Illinois that he should have had, that nine times out of ten he has. But Daquan Hardy made an excellent play in coverage. Same thing with Johnny Dixon, Cam Miller. That Those interceptions still weren't easy, and they, they had to make them. Dom DeLuca getting getting uh, his, his, uh, his shoulder on the ball. So we were able to make enough plays to get by, like Corey said. And look, guys, the best teams get better from adversity. They don't, and teams that aren't so good tend to just shrivel up. And uh, this team faced some adversity on Saturday and still got it, still got it done enough to win the game 30, 30 to 13. And we were up 30 to seven by the time a lot of the backups came in and they still had most of their starters in except the, except the quarterback. So I'm not panicking. Are there going to be things we criticize? Yes. You know, we don't just, you know, we're not just cheerleaders here. We're not going to give you propaganda. That's not what we do. But we're going to give it with perspective and not tell you that everything's falling apart. Because a game like Saturday, I mean, I did predict us to win, what, 34-10? And we won right in the neighborhood of that. So a lot of it I kind of saw coming. Yeah, Sam Williams says uh, on YouTube, you aren't going to look good every week. I don't care how talented you are. Even Caleb Williams had questionable stats. And Alex said that Jim Harbaugh talked about this very thing during his press conference today, which I did not listen to. But Yeah, I, we should have mentioned, too, J.J. McCarthy threw three interceptions. Does he suck? 
Is, is he like some terrible quarterback now? No. His bad games happen. Well, Corey might disagree, but I think he would agree he's not terrible. No, so. no. I will say this about J.J. McCarthy. He had those three picks, and he didn't even have that many pass attempts. That's the scary thing. Is he? I think oh, he, he was bad. Yeah, he, was he maybe bad had like day, but. maybe fifteen pass attempts. I don't think he even had that many. Yeah. Um, and he could have had a fourth interception, went through the guy's hands, popped up in the air, and was caught for a touchdown for Michigan. So that was a huge swing on its own right. And Michigan really did struggle with Bowling Green. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's important. And then the other thing I wanted to mention that was kind of brought up in the same conversation was winning big versus building depth. And I am to the belief that winning by another touchdown or winning by one less touchdown does not do anything for you as far as the playoff rankings go. It doesn't make the committee like you anymore. But building that depth, getting those backups in, does matter in October, does matter in November. Look at the injuries that are already piling up across college football, but even with Penn State. You had multiple players that didn't play uh, for Penn State on Saturday, and they're not going to be the only ones throughout the rest of this season. You need to have your twos and your threes be able to, to contribute and give meaningful snaps. We talked about this before the Illinois game. Yes, Newton was a fantastic player for them on the defensive line. But what happens when he comes out? Which he didn't do very much. But what happens when he comes out? Who comes in and replaces him? And that difference is critical. The difference between your one and your two and your two and your three is how you win games in November sometimes. Penn State should know that more than anybody when they face the likes of Ohio State and Michigan when their ones match up, but maybe their twos and threes don't. So this Illinois game was not about winning just this football game. It was about winning the Michigans. It was about winning the Ohio States. And everybody all year long from Penn State fans have been we got to beat Ohio State. we got to beat Michigan this year. And then they turn around and say, we got to beat Illinois by more. Well, you can't really have it both ways if you're trying to build the depth in order to beat the teams that you initially wanted to beat before the season started. Uh, and I think that point needs to be very, very clear. We Penn State did a lot of things for the future against Illinois that a lot of people you know, that just looked at the box score probably didn't even realize. I think a lot of the fan base, and, and hey, I mean – I fall into this too sometimes. I think we get so hyper focused on Ohio State, Michigan, that we it kind of throws everything else off. Guys, it's a grind in the Big Ten, and I'm the first one to say I don't think the Big Ten's very good. Uh, I think the top three teams are good, are good to really good to great, whatever. And then you know I was not bad, and there there are a few teams, and then it's 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 not it's nothing special. But these games are a grind. And yeah, the teams still have good players. Like Johnny Newton is an awesome player. The Like Corey said, the problem is, you know, the, the second units, the third units, um, that, that that's, you know, eventually you run out of gas. And the team as a whole just couldn't keep up with Penn State. I mean, Brett Bielema last week and i don't think this was a shot at penn state some people took it as a shot i don't think it was uh said that there's some things that penn state does to get better players or something like that and i i don't i don't think it sh- I, I don't think he meant any shade at penn state i think he just he just pointed out the reality 
You know, if you want to talk about facilities, you want to talk about NIL, Penn State just has better access to that stuff than a team like Illinois does. I mean, Brett Bielema could be the best recruiter in the world. There's going to be a there's going to be a cap on how good they could be because because of the realities of of the university and how much they could dedicate to to uh, retaining staff and, um, you know, like I said, facilities, NIL, the whole nine yards. So that's that's part of the issue that Illinois ran into on Saturday and that they just they just couldn't keep up with us. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, moving on from that discussion, it was very nice to see the number of turnovers, you know, came out of that West Virginia game. Penn State hadn't, didn't force any against West Virginia, which shout out to the Mountaineers for their win over Pitt this weekend. They have an. I think another big game against Texas Tech at home. So they could really turn their season around with a win against Texas Tech, who Tech was supposed to be a, maybe a dark horse in the Big 12 this year. They have not looked the part so far. Um, but they didn't have any turnovers against West Virginia. And they came back at two against Delaware, and then they explode for five against Illinois. And like Sean already alluded to a little bit, Drew Meyer, not a – what do I always call him Drew? I don't know why I always do that. Um, Altmeyer constantly was putting the ball in harm's way constantly. And, uh, some of those were, were kind of easy. The Daquan Hardy interception, no disrespect to Daquan Hardy because he got himself in good phase, got his head turned around and made a great play on the ball. But that ball was really poorly thrown on the wrong side of the shoulder. That has to be either on the opposite shoulder or out of bounds. And that wasn't the case, uh, there's just not a great day by Altmaier by any stretch of the imagination. I actually was surprised. I thought they would run him more. They ran him a little bit on that first drive, and then they really kind of got away from it. And uh, and the turnovers just stacked up. I mean, the turnovers stacked up the way you thought they would if Altmaier had to throw the football. And credit Penn State, though. They, they were able to actually capitalize and get those turnovers. Um and on the road, too. I think sometimes getting those at home, it's a little bit more contagious because you don't have to create your own energy. They're able to force five turnovers on the road and basically feed off of their own energy uh, for that game. And I think that means a lot. I think this team right now is feeling pretty hyped up. I feel like they got a lot of confidence as far as the turnover department heading home for Iowa. So that's a very good sign. That's where you want to be. You want to keep that momentum going. Yeah, because it was discussed a little bit uh, after West Virginia that we didn't have any turnovers. And, I mean, maybe West Virginia might be a little bit better than we gave them credit for going in. And, I mean, I know Phil Dracovic kind of threw up all over himself. But, again, you have to make the play. And they did. And you consider how bad their secondary was last year. I mean, they probably improved. I mean, there's there's really nowhere to go but up. Uh, But, yeah, they probably got better. Um, but yeah, I think us creating the turnovers, I mean, that was the difference in the game, right? I mean, I don't think we played a great game by any stretch of the imagination, but we didn't have a turnover. And those, those are three straight games without a turnover. And that's very difficult to do, especially with the first year starting quarterback. Um, I, I think, and we're going to get into this is, has the play calling been conservative? I, I think it has. Um, and you know, we're going to get more into it as we discuss the quarterbacks, 
But still, if you win the explosive play battle, you win the turnover battle, you're going to win a lot of games. And that's something that James Franklin constantly is preaching. Do not turn the ball over and win the explosive play battle. We're going to be fine. And that was the story on Saturday. Just five, you know, if you turn the ball over five times against uh, a top 10 team in the country, you're not going to win many of those games. No, especially if you can't create any. Not as bad as Arizona State turning the ball over eight times in their game. But 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 still, uh, five is five is not going to be good for you. The other overarching theme that I wanted to discuss was the penalties. The the penalties were bad for the second straight week. They were bad against Delaware. They were bad against Illinois. And just untimely penalties. The, the one unsportsmanlike penalty to Devon Ellis. not sure exactly what he said, but I, to the official, it warranted a penalty, and that kind of got their drive moving a little bit. And then the one to me that was very detrimental, that changes the entire landscape of the game, was when Penn State was up 13 nothing and had the football at around the 40-yard line. And I believe it was after a running play. It might have set up like third and three or something like that. And uh, third and two is what it probably would have been because then Keandre Lambert-Smith has that just wasn't even very much, but it was a late shove, got the penalty for it, moved them all the way back to a third and 17. And then instead of maybe punting the ball, and, and backing up the Illinois defense, Penn State elected for the 51-yard field goal, which I don't agree with, and it was blocked, and now Illinois has all the momentum. They go down and score a touchdown. So uh, in my aspect, it was a, a compounding of mistakes. Number one, the penalty. Can't have that penalty. You're about to have a third and short with your offense. You're probably honestly going to be even going for it if you only pick up half of the distance on third down, and you have all the momentum. If you go down and score a touchdown, it's 20-0, and the game's over. So that was a big killer. But then I do think it was a compounded mistake by Franklin to, to send Falcons out there who had just made a 45-yarder, to be fair. But now you're extending that to 51 yards, and we already don't necessarily feel great about the kicking unit. The, 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 uh, the kick was low, and it was blocked, and now Illinois has all the momentum. So bad mistake by Keandre Lambert-Smith for the penalty. It really messed things up. But I do think we... Probably in that situation should have just punted. Make Illinois go 85 yards. Make them go 90 yards to score a touchdown. They didn't have any momentum at that point. You're probably going to get the ball back in about you know three to six plays. Um, but the penalties, Sean, in general, just just too many of them. And and really at inoppor- inopportune times. That really slowed down this offense. Um, and this offense did not need anything else to slow it down on Saturday. Yeah, and, and the penalties, right, they're from guys we really rely on. Um, Keandre Lambert-Smith is one of the most important guys on this team. And, you know, do I think it was an egregious penalty? I don't. But you got to be smarter than that. The play was dead. You don't need to shove the guy. You have to be smarter than that. And then what I really didn't like was he really didn't do anything after that, anything of note. So that's not what you're looking for from the leader of your wide receiver role. Like, you got to keep your head in the game. You make a mistake, okay, you make a mistake. You shake it off and you keep going. Um, but, you know, that was that was disappointing to me. Uh, Olu Fashion got called for another hold. Um, I, I said this on the pod last week, and I still stand by it. I don't know if that was properly assessed to him uh, against Delaware. This past one definitely was. 
And, you know, we're going to get more into Olu. I, I think he has got to be better in general. Um, and Devon Ellie's, you know, one of the leaders on your team. I don't really love calling unsportsmanlike conducts for words. It's it's just not me. Uh, so I'm not going to get too, I'm not going to get on him too hard. But, you know, it, anytime you see two really unnecessary penalties, it's disappointing. And you need your big time performers to not be shooting the team in the foot. Right. Right. I mean, that's just, that's just the, that's just the nature of the beast, right? You can't, you can't have those mistakes. Um, I guess you can make those mistakes against Illinois, but obviously moving forward, you can't have seven penalties against Ohio state and or Michigan and expect to win. And so again, maybe it's good. You're having this now and you're able to clean those things up. You don't know what you have, you know, you need to fix until you, you see what's broken. And, and they now know what they need to clean up, and and they have time to do so. Uh, before we get into like more specifics in the position groups, I just want to talk about a couple of things. Um, I want to I want to mention just some some headlines. First of all, we got the Northwestern kick for next week. That is going to be a twelve o'clock Eastern, eleven o'clock local kick out there in Evanston, which was the same time it was back when I went out there in 2015. So uh, another 11 a.m. kick. You're also probably going to be looking at a noon kick. Yeah, yes. Going to be looking at probably a noon kick for Ohio State, although that's not official yet. And then we don't know yet the Indiana time. So there's potentially a lot of noon kicks, obviously Michigan as well. Um, So you're looking at potentially a lot of noon kicks in the the horizon for Penn State. So just keep that in mind. You might be getting two more of Joel, of Joel and uh, Gus. Yeah. Uh, Gus was. Yeah, that was. I honestly (laughs) think something's wrong with him because that was. I've never seen him like that. Yeah, just no energy, and he's. I I don't I don't think he hates Penn State. He's been excited for Penn State before. I I just I don't know what was up with them. I don't know if maybe just didn't want to be there, but. Come on, man! Raise your game a little bit. (laughs) Yeah that 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 was, that was pretty bad. Um, that, that was what I would call really bad. I also want to show the pick'em standings, which I guess moving forward, I can shrink off the one side of the screen a little bit more, but not everybody's listed there. So if you've only done one or two weeks, you're not listed there. Sean is still on top, but his lead of three points is now down to two points. After an almost perfect week, but a lot of people, including myself, did go perfect last week. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six people went perfect last week, which makes it really tight at the top. You have one, two, three, four people tied for second place right now. Um, So the pick'em is open for week four. So go ahead and get your picks in. I'll close it again on Friday before I believe it's Wisconsin and Purdue play on Friday. So I'll close it right before that kickoff. I should have listened to Brandon Bell and took Rutgers. Yeah, you should have. That killed me. <laughs> Rutgers has made me a lot of money this year. They've just continued to – I think they've covered all three of their games so far. I'll keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm here for. Oh, and, and just so you know, a little early – just a little early thing here. Speaking of Rutgers, they're playing Michigan this week. And I don't know what the spread's going to stay at. But, again, this is not this is not financial advice. 
But knowing what you know, Rutgers is at Michigan, and their spread was 24 points right now. And I think it's a little high. Rutgers played them close two years ago. I don't know what they did last year, but two years ago, they that was a game in the fourth went to quarter overtime. the big house. I think it went oh, to overtime. Did it go all the way to overtime? Wow. I think it did. Yeah. Um, 24 points seems like a lot for a team that kind of just struggled with Bowling Green, and we know their defense is good. I'm not saying Rutgers is necessarily going to be in the game because I don't know what their offense is necessarily going to do, but they got a good running game, and they got a good defense, and that to me at least means it's going to be a lower scoring game and heck, maybe Michigan wins 31-17 or 31, you know, 10. That's still that's still under that 24 point threshold. So there's my free free bet for you guys that I think you should lock in. Penn State opens up, by the way, around 14, 14 and a half against Iowa. Uh, but get your picks in. We'll have that open until Friday. Um, even if you're behind, you have plenty of chances to catch up. I oh. you do. I do want to say to the guest pickers in, we didn't have a guest picker for the first week. So you guys should be able to stay in front of the guest picker. Um, but both Caroline and Brandon Bell did very well in week one. Very good. Yeah. You know what killed me too? Uh, I didn't get the two point boost. Western Kentucky. Never counting on the Hilltoppers again. Wait, maybe I scored you wrong then. Yeah, I think I, I think that's the team that I picked to cover. I'll have to look make at, sure. I might be wrong too, but I'll have to look that up because that yeah, would. I might have went with another team. To, I think I gave you the two for that. So that would be uh, drastically different if you yeah, did not double get check that. because I'm a man of integrity. Wow. And I do think that's who I picked, but I could have picked someone else. It was a week ago. Yeah, I, I don't I, remember what I had for breakfast. You think you picked? Uh, you think you picked? Ohio State to cover or Western Kentucky to cover? I thought I picked Western Kentucky to cover. Oh. And you know what? I will I'll have to eat some crow here because I also thought that Western Kentucky would keep it a lot closer and they did not. No, that was I, it was close in the beginning, but Ohio State pulled away. It was the first game that all season they really looked like Ohio State. But, You're double down. You went with Washington covering for Michigan State. Ah, okay. That was smart stuff. Yep, you were smart, so you're good there. Um, speaking of Iowa, unfortunate news for the Hawkeyes. They are potentially going to be out with three players, one for sure. Uh, they lose their tight end, Luke Lackey, for the entire season, which I'm always to the belief that you want to beat the other team at full strength and obviously don't want to see somebody done for the entire season. So that's just, you know obviously disappointing for him, but, but upsetting for everybody that – I will be without that tight end. And then two running backs. Caleb Johnson had an ankle injury going into the Western Michigan game and and believed to tweak it yet again. So his status is questionable at the very least, probably even doubtful for Penn State. And then Jazine Patterson, also another running back. He got dinged up in the Western Michigan game too, and he wasn't on the, the depth chart release today but I would probably put him more towards questionable given that it's Monday. So three big pieces to Iowa's offense, um, not going to be, or at least two of them questionable for Saturday. You know who the, you know who their number one tight end is going to be now, Sean, with, with Lackey out the rest of the year. I do Eric all. Yeah. He I had a friend had a big play for Michigan. Um, 2021. Happened right in front of me. 
Yeah. So Terrible. anyway, so there's some news out of Iowa. If you're Iowa, you know, you got to be a little concerned right now because you're going up against a good defense. You're going up against the whiteout. And now you might be without a couple of weapons just from the outside perspective. I know there's that awful ESPN article where the, somebody wrote, I don't even know who it was, wrote that whoever scores two points is probably going to win this game because now all of a sudden Penn State's offense, even though they have scored over 30 points per game for 10 straight games, is now not good after dropping 30 more on Illinois. So I don't really know what that's all about, but Iowa's <laughs> going to have to find a way to manufacture some points. They just scored 41 against Western Michigan. So Brian Ferentz is actually above the 25 point per game threshold right now. Now they did get two from, they get, they got two from the safety. So they're really technically at 39 for, for last week. But um, right now, Brian Ferentz is ahead of his goal. But he, the unfortunate thing is, I think he's at like 28 points per game right now. And now it's probably going to get a lot harder. The weather is going to get colder. Injuries are still going to you know, play into that. And now you actually have like the meat of your Big Ten schedule. <laughs> yeah, they had a pretty easy start to the season. Uh, they did have Iowa State, but Iowa State just lost to the Ohio Bobcats. So uh, how big of a Curtis is that? Curtis Rourke, our man Curtis Rourke. Oh, yeah. He's having That's a good year. First guy we scouted, yeah. uh, first quarterback. So, yeah, so they just lost to them. So how good is Iowa State? Matt Campbell got into it with a fan after the game, too. Did you see that? Yeah, there's a fan who, um, you know, he, he said something innocuous, and then he said something about Matt Campbell being on the hot seat. He said, like, Campbell, you're on the hot seat. And Matt Campbell, like, did a turnaround. Thankfully, security kept him going. <laughs> so he didn't say anything he would have regretted. Um but, yeah, I, I think the Cyclones are at, at a not-so-great place as a program right now. However, I will say, Iowa, you know, and this isn't the Iowa preview, but I, I think you always have to be on your toes with them, no matter how they did early in the season. I remember they lost to North Dakota State a few years ago, and they were still the same old Iowa Hawkeyes the rest of the year. Yeah, and I'm just gonna steal the screen real quick because um, I just I I want to say something too because I know it's not Iowa week yet, but we know this is going to come up this week probably in the press conferences by both coaches. Definitely are going to be remembered by the fans. Nobody, and I mean nobody, is more excited for this football game on Saturday than me. I. Really don't like Iowa. I was thinking about this game from the get-go this past spring. I told everybody that this was going to be the whiteout. It was the whiteout. I'm jacked up and ready to go, and it's Monday night. So I'm with everybody as far as that. I remember what happened in 2021. I remember how it all went down. I remember the the booing of the injuries. I remember the assistant coaches from Iowa faking those injuries on a sideline and mocking the players. I remember the guy in the stands with his, you know, holding his shoulder, et cetera. And then I remember all the fans afterwards saying that it wasn't because of the injuries that they would have beat us anyway. So I'm just as fired up as everybody else. And I'm very, very excited to get in that stadium and let Iowa know about it. But that being said, and I don't know if this is going to change anything or not, but I think it's important to say, please do not do what they did to us. And and that's simple, right? Give them absolute hell. But when it comes to injuries on the field, because there's going to be injuries on the field by both teams, do not boo. Do not do anything 
to that extent because, A, you cannot speculate on injuries when they're on the field, and, B, Penn State fans are better than that. Absolutely boo them when they come out in the field. Absolutely be loud when they're on offense, et cetera. But I really hope Penn State fans are able to, you know, at the very least turn their cheek if there's comments thrown their way from Iowa fans on Saturday and most definitely are able to to restrain themselves from booing when there's an injured Hawkeye on the field. Because that injured Hawkeye likely, not likely, 100% had nothing to do with those select few people in the crowd in 2021 and said coaches that thought they saw and smelled rat poison after the fact. So I don't like Kirk Ferentz as a person. I don't like Brian Ferentz as a person. I don't like most of their coaching staff or their fan base for what they did. But we uh, we would like to see Penn State do better than that uh, this Saturday and, and just demolish them on the field instead. Yeah, yeah, I was going to say something very similar, Corey, and I'm happy you did. Um, be loud, be proud, show respect. Um, you could be a little disrespectful, boo them when they come out on the field. Um, I, I always do, but it, who cares? But if there's somebody injured on the field, guys, that's, that's someone's kid, That's that's a that kid could be really hurt. And you don't know. So, yeah, be re- be respectful if you see anybody injured. I mean, I think we have a good fam. I think we have a good following here. And, you know, we, we're not Neanderthals here. And I think, you know, probably didn't need to be said. But if you have some liquid courage and you want to boo some injured 20 year old, but don't don't do that. So. Right. Happy we covered that. Yeah. And I don't even like necessarily compared to some fan bases, like I don't even know if I'm necessarily going to be generous to Iowa fans, right? Like it's one thing, you know, typically, yeah. especially a non-conference, like, oh yeah, come on over, have a beer. Like I'm not going to go out of my way and be mean to anybody in a tailgating lot. Like I'm not going to be chirping at people when they walk by or anything like yeah. that. But I don't really honestly know if I'm going to be as outgoingly friendly to Iowa fans as I would say, you know, a bowl game opponent or say Auburn or or you know, app state or doesn't really matter who anyone else. I don't really know if I'm going to be that friendly just because I am upset. And honestly, I know maybe a lot of them didn't boo that day if they were there, but I know a lot of them defended it. And I know a lot of them truly believe that we still to this day, were faking injuries for the most lethargic offense in college football history. And I, that pisses me off more than anything else because to this day, it doesn't make sense. And and I just, if you defend that, I don't really like you. And I don't really want to hang out with you. So I'm not even going to sit here and say, be nice, invite them to your tailgate. I'm just saying, let's just let's just leave it to the field and, and, and leave it to the whiteout and let the whiteout and this football team speak for us. Yeah, I never understood, like, like when you see videos from Eagles fans, you know, booing, like, grandmothers that are wearing, like, different teams colors I, I don't get it like just let them go let them cheer it doesn't matter <laughs> but did you have to go out of your way to be really friendly to them no just let them be let them be they're gonna be there for the game they're gonna watch they're gonna cheer when their team does something well hopefully it's not much but it's gonna happen who cares just let it go don't yep. be i i don't want to see anybody at the beef being on Twitter after the game, getting in a fight with anybody. It doesn't need to come to that. Just let them be and be loud and be crazy. That's all I yeah. want. 
and don't and don't boo injured guys. Yeah, please don't please don't boo injured players. It just you know there are maybe out of a hundred injuries, I would say maybe one of them over the course of like a college football Saturday. You know, one out of a hundred are are maybe to slow down an opponent. And I promise you that that probably isn't happening as often as you think it is. I just I just don't think it is, especially. Now, I know it's starting to get a little bit colder, but I never understood it when you talk about, like, the first two weeks of the year when it's super hot and kids are still trying to, like, get in con- conditioning shape. And, they're cr- like, it's obvious they're cramping. Like, you, and to me, the cramping thing is just so, like, how do you know whether that person's cramping or not? Like, it's not something that just, you know, you can tell when someone's going to cramp. Like, nobody knows when that's going to all of a sudden get you and, and, and you know, be a, like a snake in the grass when it bites you. You don't have a choice. And so I never understood, especially when it was hot out, when people were like, oh, he's faking it. How do you know he's not having a cramp in his calf right now? So never liked it. Never understood it. I think there are situations where it does happen, but I really think it is a very limited sample size. But um, we can get back on, on, on subject now. Let's talk offense. Let's do it. Um, my biggest thing I wanted to take away from the offense and, and really speak about, Sean, was Penn State really missed wide receiver Trey Wallace on Saturday. We knew he was going to play an important role this year, but he really seemed to be the safe, safe blanket for Dollar. And the, to a certain point, I know it's early, but he was kind of Mr. Consistency. I know he had one or two drops in a West Virginia game, but... He was running really crisp routes. He knew, obviously, the offense pretty well. And they went to him when they needed to to convert or move the sticks or even just get their rhythm going. And he traveled and he warmed up and he was a a last-second scratch. But not having him, I think, really affected the rhythm of this offense. And Malik McClain, God bless him, but he had a couple drops, really important drops. And I will always say drops are not just about that one play. Drops hurt the rhythm of the offense, the confidence of the quarterback, and in some cases, just the entire landscape of the football game and, and, and punting the football instead of moving the sticks and, and what, what say you. So there were a couple drops there. Uh, additionally, Illinois played man coverage, and the receivers struggled at times to break that man coverage. And I, I really think Trey Wallace would have made a difference. Again, I don't know what's going on with Amari Evans. Um, Dante Sivas had one that was a tough catch, but maybe could have had. Uh, but the point is, when it's all said and done, they missed Trey Wallace. And I didn't think by game three that would have been something as obvious. But it was very clear in my mind. It, it, from the get-go, I was like, man, like Trey Wallace probably would have helped out a ton in this football game. And and maybe that's the difference between this one being a blowout earlier versus you know having to wait to the fourth quarter. Yeah, yeah. I think you saw why Franklin seemed concerned about the receivers in camp and why the reviews really were never glowing from him. And it wasn't just coach speak, like trying to motivate. It seemed like he was a little, you know, not panicked, but a little concerned. And yeah, I think from the top on down, they, they weren't good enough. Like Keandre Lambert Smith, three catches for only, I think 23 yards. That ain't enough. I mean, you have to be better than that. And a boneheaded penalty to throw in on top of that. They have to be better. 
Now, I will say, I think we have to be more creative in getting him involved in the game. But still, I mean, get open. I'm sure if you're open, I mean, I, he was open on that one touchdown that Drew missed. But still, you have to find, you have to, he's got to be better. Uh, Malik McLean, yeah, he had an opportunity to start and he didn't make the most of that opportunity. Um, two drops. I mean, you just can't have that. One of them was early in the game. I think it really could have gotten Drew into some rhythm. It was right in the breadbasket. The ball placement was good, and he couldn't he couldn't haul it in. Uh, I do want to talk about Caden Saunders. I thought, you know, only two catches for 19 yards. I mean, you're going to look at that and say, eh, who cares? No. the fir- His first catch made a move and got the first down. And you want to just see something from a guy who has had limited uh, opportunities in games. And you did. It reminded me a little bit, and I'm not in any way comparing him to this person at all. It reminded me a little bit of when Jahan Dotson got in against Indiana in 2019, or in 2018, and the offense was stalled. And Jahan came in, didn't light the world on fire, just made a couple catches. And you're like, oh, this guy, somebody to watch. Uh, And Liam Clifford down the sideline. Perfect pass. Perfect catch. Uh, it it also, um, I thought that was a big moment for Drew. Uh, Drew hadn't uh, been sharp up to that point, And for him to just drop it in like that, really, really beneficial for and uh, really help. Uh, it was really a building block for the rest of the game, I think. Yeah, I think Brett Bielema after. After the game said something to the extent of those were like a cheap three points that game they gave up and it was I mean I think some people will probably remember that and the half a little bit differently but Penn State after the touchdown Penn State actually went three and out gave the ball back to Illinois and then Illinois I even got a first down after they use a timeout to stop Penn State from mel- melting the rest of the clock Illinois then gets a first down and then Penn State gets a stop and gets the ball back. So it was actually like they had all the momentum in the world and didn't think they were going to get any points before the half. Uh, a, a good stop by the defense. Caden Saunders had a good return on that too. Got him all the way to like the 40-yard line or so. And then Drew Aller back-to-back place. He runs for the first down, and then he throws that dime to, to Clifford. And that throw to Clifford, at first I thought Clifford was wide open. But then you look from the end zone camera, and it, he wasn't that open. Like, he was open, but that throw was exactly where it needed to be. Um, and that was, like you said, a big moment. To get three points there, I think that completely changed the dynamic of the game. It was almost like a a sucker punch after the end of the round in boxing. Like the, the, the bells already rang, and then you get one more cheap shot in there, and it kind of maybe changes – the way you felt about that round a little bit, right? If you're a judge and you you go back and you're like, well, I don't know, we got you know the, the, that old saying about like Muhammad Ali and and you know they would clap and let him know the last minute and then he would go and fight really hard for that last minute to give the last really solid impression. That's kind of what they did, and it did change, at least in my perspective. Sitting on the couch, I felt better going out like, oh, that was a big three points right there. Even though they had kicked multiple field goals earlier, it was like we they captured some of that momentum back. They also got the ball to start the second half. They didn't do anything with it. But I agree. That was big time. It was also a big moment for me, Sean, that Drew Aller basically recaptured the momentum on his own. Because, like I said, he ran for that first down when they needed it. And then he threw that absolute dot. 
uh, to get him in a field goal range. He did that on his own, and that just, again, shows you he's, he's at times looked flappable. But when it really mattered, and I know it seems silly to be saying it really mattered in the second quarter against Illinois, he was able to capture that momentum again. Yeah, and it does really matter, right? I mean, this, it's, you know, Illinois is the type of team, again, you really don't want to be in a four-quarter battle with. And um, teams have done that before, and some come out, losing and look at Michigan last year. Now last year's Illinois team, definitely a much better Illinois team. No question about it, but same coach, they do the same exact things. And that's the kind of game that they want to get in and to steal three points. It's a critical three points. I mean, I don't think there's ever been a, a more big 10 thing to say than, wow, that was a huge three points there, a huge field goal, but it, it really was. And uh field goal kicking. I mean, I think this is another overarching thing. Um, Three for four with one, it was blocked, uh, which isn't good. But with one miss from 50 plus, as somebody who's a harsh critic of kickers, I'll live with that, you know, especially when he drilled one from 45. So I, I think we have our kicker now, which is a good sign. Yeah, that's a good point, Sean. The 45 yarder was a no doubter. And yeah, perfect. Maybe gave maybe a little bit of false confidence as far as the 51 yarder. But, you know, even if that wasn't blocked, I just, I just, again, go back to I don't like the decision to stretch the confidence as well as pinning them back probably does just as much as a field goal in that sense of, OK, so you make it 16-0 instead of, you know, 13-0, but they get the ball anyway. I, I At that point, I just feel like a touchdown makes a big difference. But holding on to the momentum is the most important thing. And if it was a if it was a 40 yarder, I have no issue with it. But. Again, you back yeah. that thing up another 10 yards, it's it's a different ball game. So uh, I do agree, though. I think Falcons, to his credit, didn't give up on things, didn't get the nod to start the year, and has done nothing but good things since he has has taken over the job, which at the same time, you would like to see Xander Sahadak, and we don't know if he isn't doing this or any, by any means, you'd hope he's still doing the same thing, right? And, and they continue to push each other throughout the season. Yeah, and Sanders is a talented kid. I mean, he could drill the ball. Like, that ball flies off his foot. Uh, you even saw in some of the, in that one extra point um, <laughs> against Delaware, I mean, he, he almost hit that in the upper deck in the north end zone. Uh, so he has a ton of potential, and he's probably the kicker after this year because I think Falcons is done. I think he's a one-and-done guy. So... Yeah, we need we'll need him next year, but as of right now, you can't take that job away from Falcons the way he's been kicking. He's only missed one kick. And he's made all of his extra points, and there have been a lot of them he's had to make. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point too. Uh just finishing off with offense here. Tight ends I thought looked better. Uh as far as beating man coverage, I thought the tight ends at times did better than wide receivers did uh against their safeties. Warren had a couple uh catches, obviously the touchdown grab. But another solid grab over the middle. Theo Johnson had, I believe, two catches over the middle. Uh, haven't necessarily taken over games, but I I think you can see where they're effective. You know, you can line up and maybe feel okay if you're a defense in man coverage against Penn State's wide receivers, especially when Trey Wallace is out. But how do you feel about your safety or your second best safety going up against Theo Johnson and Ty Warren? And then how do you feel about 
and then a, a corner or a safety or a linebacker on a running back. And that, to me, is where Penn State, if they continue to see man coverage, really has to make their teams, you know, opposing defenses pay. Maybe it isn't Keandre Lambert-Smith, who struggled a little bit against press man coverage, but the tight ends, the running backs, how can you get them in one-on-one situations where they can outshine maybe somebody who's not prone to, to playing a lot of man coverage? Yeah, Warren is a real weapon in the passing game. I think he's your best tight end right now. And, you know, it's just he's every time he makes the catch, it's moving the chains or their touchdowns. And he's just he's been very, very good uh, this uh, through these last couple games. Um, and, and Theo, yeah, I mean, he only had two catches on Saturday, but I think he's playing fine. And we talk about the run blocking. Um, I, I think everybody has to improve their run blocking from last week. Uh, I, but um, overall, yeah, I think the tight ends have been fine. And like you said, uh, the receivers really not not I didn't think they played well overall. Uh, I thought the tight ends played really well um, on Saturday. Uh, Nick Singleton was also a revelation out of the backfield uh, from a receiver's standpoint. I know we're about to get into running backs. Yeah, yeah, we can talk running backs now. Um, I saw on on the Blue and White Illustrated podcast that they mentioned Nick Singleton's like thirtieth or twenty something in broken tackles. I think Keandre or in Catron Allen's at I think ninth. They just haven't broken a lot of tackles this year, and it's it seems kind of funny, but. I think Nick Singleton almost needs to, and I think Nate Bauer said it. I think he honestly needs to just get back to hitting the hole because I think maybe he's doing almost a little too much thinking now. And it's good. Yes, you want to be patient. But at the same time, he's not Catron Allen. They have different attributes and different skill sets. Catron Allen has a little bit more shimmy, he has a little bit more shake, and he has the ability to run people over a little bit more than Nick Singleton. Nick Singleton has that speed, that home run speed. But you have to be able to hit the crease hard in order to do so. And I think sometimes this year he is so focused on being patient, which good, awesome, that he misses holes. And he doesn't hit the hole maybe as hard. And maybe somebody does, you know, grab a shoelace or grab a foot. And he doesn't maybe maybe he's slow to the hole. And so that linebacker who wouldn't have usually had that angle has that angle to make a play on him. And I think that that's just the difference, right? He's not far away from breaking a lot of long touchdown runs. But how do you get there besides just more more uh, opportunities? Well, you got to maybe hit the hole a little bit harder, maybe not be as patient, which I know sounds crazy because we just had this conversation last year about. Him, him maybe running into the thick of things and not letting the block set up, et cetera. But now I think it's a little bit more to let's just get back to running full speed. And the point they brought up on their show today that I really liked was he does really well in the goal line situation when he doesn't have a choice. When he knows I'm going to hit this trot line formation run on the outside, I know my blockers are going to be there. And if they're not, I'm just going to hit the hole. And he hits it fast and hard and he usually ends up in the end zone pretty much untouched and yet once you back him out of the 
the red zone or, or near the end zone. Now there seems to be a little bit slower to the hole, and I think that's just because he's trying to be patient. But he has ungodly speed and ungodly acceleration, and that's what makes him special. And I, I think he just needs to maybe get back to that a little bit. I'm not throwing up red flags or anything. I think him and Catron Allen have been fantastic. I think they've both been very good in their own different ways, but I don't think they've necessarily been great so far. No, I'd, I I wouldn't qualify them as great so far either. And yeah, I mean, you, there's something that could be said about the offensive line blocking, but in the two games where I thought they blocked really, really well against West Virginia and Delaware, they still didn't have those explosive runs. And I think Nick single, like think about journey Brown, journey Brown ran. He wasn't a big guy, but he ran with such great balance. And I don't think Singleton has that same, you know, balance that a guy like journey had. Like it's, it seems like he's very easy to take down, which is weird because he's big. Like he's a big dude. He's, he's about as big as Saquon was when he was here. But it seems like anytime anybody gets a hand on him, I mean, he 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 falls, and um, he's still. I, I don't think he's playing badly or anything. But yeah, I think there's something to be said about running with a bit more balance, and um, maybe he maybe comes out a little high. I'd have to go back and really watch him to say that, but um, I think that would be some something that maybe for the bloggy could look at, uh, who's a real who's a film junkie um, and who knows how to look exactly for that stuff. Um, and Katron, and, you know, I think Katron, it, it feels a lot like how we were at the beginning of last year and really at the midway point of last year, Katron's been the better running back of the two so far this season. And Katron doesn't have that same burst. He doesn't have that other gear that Singleton has. Uh, but, He's just he's been he's been the better back. He's been the more consistent back. So uh, he has a he had a drop in the end zone that I know he would have liked that I know he would have liked back. But other than that, he's he's been the more consistent runner of the two. Yeah, and we say this, but they do have Penn State as a team is tied for fifth with rushing touchdowns at 10. So all that being said. They're yeah, still, they're not bad. I don't want to say that, but they're still getting in the end bad. zone. Yeah. And uh their average right about now is about middle of the pack in the country. They're at 4.63 yards per carry, which is a lot better than when it was really bad at Penn State, but haven't necessarily seen that explosive runs yet. Um let me just pull up here uh longest rushing plays 10 plus rushing plays. Penn State is currently at 65th with 15 10-plus rushing plays. Go to 20-plus rushing plays. Penn State is now at 97th with two. And they they do not have any 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, or 90-plus running plays yet this year. Um, Just to give you an idea, if you're curious about what's the best right now, UCLA has – Eight 30 yard run plays or more. Um, God, at this point last year, we were way up there too because right. Singleton was housing everything, especially against Auburn. 
Um, so yeah, they're, they're, they aren't where they are where they were last year. Um, but we'll see. And, um, and, and we'll get to that a little bit, a little bit later on. Let's finish with the offensive line, Sean. I'm just going to start by saying something that I mentioned to you guys on, on text message, but I didn't say on the show, but now I am going to look kind of silly for saying it because it's a little bit easier to say, but I honestly think if I had to run the rock, I would run it towards the right side than the left side right now. And that's not just because of Caden Wallace, but also Sal Warmly. And there were times where the left side of the offense line really struggled on Saturday. J.B. Nelson got blown up a couple times. We're going to show film room in the trot one formation where he struggled. And then we obviously mentioned Olu having a couple, you know, difficult reps as well in the run game. That's something that he is a he is an elite pass rushing offensive lineman. He's very good against pass rush. He still has some work to do as far as run blocking. And at this point, seriously, I think I would rather run to the right side because I think Sal Warmly and Caden Wallace are actually better run blockers than they are uh, in the pass game which maybe is honestly the opposite of the left side. So I think I would run right and and, and rather be on my left side as far as uh, pass blocking goes. Um, they, they all had their moments, but Newton ate everybody's lunch. He ate Sal Warmly's lunch. He ate J.B. Nelson's lunch. It, d- it didn't really matter. Newton was just doing awesome things. I will go on to say this. I know we didn't have the splash plays that JTT had last year for Ohio State, But I honestly think he had a more impressive game. I mean, he was running people over. He was disruptive almost more often than not than than JTT last year. I know he didn't have the interception. I know he didn't have the forced fumble, touchdown, et cetera. But what he did from just a defensive line perspective was awesome. It was fun to watch, and he wasn't even on my team. But he was really disruptive. And sometimes you can be good – and just get worked by a great player. And I think in large part, that's what we saw on Saturday. Yeah, Newton was the best player on the field on either team on Saturday. Team, just um, not so much. And yeah, Olu, I mean, look, when you're called the best offensive tackle in the country, it's not good enough to just be, I mean, average to maybe above average if i'm being nice uh in run blocking you got to be better than that is he an elite pass is he elite pass protection no question about it nobody's gonna say that he isn't but you got to be better he's got to be better than he was uh overall um and he really didn't uh, there was a guy in the trenches that looked like a top 10 pick and it wasn't olu fashion on saturday and that was disappointing. But do I think he'll get better? I do. I do. Uh, he he is a great player. He just needs to needs to get it going in run blocking. Uh, the guards in general really struggled with Johnny Newton, both uh, Sal Warmly and JB and uh, JB Nelson. Um, he was really doing whatever he wanted against them, and. I, th- I think, and that this isn't fair to criticize these guys for the sins of the past. Can we ever just somewhat protect against an elite player on the defensive line? I mean, I could go all the way back to Kentucky when we played the other Josh Allen. 
I mean, man, oh, man, we always get worked, like really worked, not just, oh, the guy made a play here and there. Okay, that's going to happen. But does it always have to be like that? I mean, Aiden Hutchinson and Chase Young and the Bosa brothers and this guy and that guy, JTT, who's not even an elite player, but he played like Lawrence Taylor when we played him last year. Like, can we ever just have one time where we somewhat contain a great pass rusher or a guy that's uh, great, who's, who's um, great from in the def- on the defensive line? But I digress. Caden uh, Wallace, I didn't notice anything egregious. I thought he played all right. Um, and but, you know, do, do they do they all have to play better, especially in run blocking than they did on Saturday? Yes. Now, Johnny Newton might be the best defensive lineman they play all season, but that's probably not the best front set. It's not the best front seven they'll play all season. So they got to pick it up because it just wasn't good enough. Yeah, I would I would even venture to say that Hunter Norzad actually had a good game. Uh, they he had some he, he had a good block on on Newton on on the Allen touchdown. It's a combo block, but still they yes, did a good that job. Was nice. um, and there are other instances where I thought Hunter Norzad actually played a pretty good game. But you're right. Yeah, Newton might be the best player they face on the defensive line. But across the board, they're going to go up against more talented defensive lines. And you won't always be able to double team everybody. So you're going to have to figure out a way to protect your quarterback or run against multiple really good players. Maybe not at his level but multiple really, really good players. So um, I'm not freaking out as much. I thought there was some times, and I've already got the film clips ready for the film room this week. I apologize we didn't do a film room last week. Um, I already have the clips ready for this week, so I'll probably post them on Tuesday. But I will show instances where there is some really good pass protection. And again, just like everything else, especially where we're at with Penn State football this year, Everyone's going to harp on the one time Penn State does something bad and not remember the the, the good times they do it. Uh, but there were instances where there was some really good pass protection. Sometimes Drew just didn't see the guy open. Sometimes they did find a guy open. Um, but there are there's definitely time to improve, and it just comes back to the same thing, right, Sean? You want to be able to improve in September. You don't want to be sitting here and saying, oh, yeah, we're good. Sweet, let's bring on Michigan. Um, and more importantly – this was their first real taste of a nasty defensive line. And I don't know if they're all nasty, but a really good defensive line. That does nothing but prepare you more for Iowa, who's going to have a good defensive line, and then for Michigan, who's going to have a good defensive line. When Penn State played Michigan last year, they hadn't really seen a mean defensive line yet. There was a one or two really good players for Auburn. But as far as in the trenches and being nasty – Penn State's going to have a lot more experience before that Michigan football game, and and I think that's going to do dividends for them. If your first time seeing somebody like Newton is is in November or is in late October, that doesn't bode well for you. So seeing somebody early like this, you know what you need to fix now. Yeah, and I mean, going into the season, guys, I kept saying I really like the way the schedule shakes out for us. Why? Because I knew we'd space some tests early in the season. And was I terrified of any of these tests? Not really. And because I thought, well, Penn State's a better team than uh, West Virginia, Illinois, and I believe coming up Iowa. 
So I really wasn't panicked, but I knew they were all going to present different challenges for us. Uh, West Virginia, C.J. Donaldson, very, very good running back. And he showed that against us. Did he go crazy against us? No, but he had some nice runs. Um, These guys, Keith Randolph and and, um, and, um, we just talked about him, Uh, Johnny, you know, Johnny Newton. <laughs> I knew that that was going to that those are going to present challenges for us. We're going to face a challenge next week uh with Iowa. I mean, Phil Parker is one of the best in the business. Uh, as bad as Brian Fair as Brian Ferentz is at his job, Phil Parker is that good at being a defensive coordinator. So I knew there were going to be some challenges and we're going to face some adversity. But we have a lot of time between now and Ohio State and peeking ahead a little bit. After Iowa, we play Northwestern, we have a bye week, and we have UMass. So there's a nice, easy stretch coming up after this. Yeah, and and just to wrap a bow on Iowa and and Illinois, Illinois playing most likely a very different defensive scheme than what we expect Iowa to play. Don't expect Iowa to to go man coverage and and challenge um, the receivers as much. Maybe they will after this week, but usually you expect Iowa to play off coverage, play two side safeties, and make you work all the way down the field. And so we'll we'll see what they end up doing, but you could end up seeing a very different approach next week. Um, but that's usually kind of what Phil Parker likes to do. Uh, before we get to defense, Sean, since we, I want to really focus on the film room with the offense, let's just squeeze the film room in now and also kind of give us a little bit of change of pace as well. So... Sean had the good idea of saying, "Hey, let's talk about let's talk about the T formation, aka the Trotwine formation, and what went wrong." So, really, the first time we saw the, the Trotwine formation struggle, and right off the bat, first and goal, this first play is is pretty indicative of what you don't want to see. There's Newton right off the bat blowing up JB Nelson. That level of penetration on the inside just completely ruins this play right from the get-go. And it, it just gets worse from there. I mean, you, you can't have that level of penetration internally. Uh, on top of that, Theo Johnson does eventually seal his guy. And although this defensive end does a good job setting the edge, Katron Allen gets a good enough block that if J.B. Nelson wasn't blocked two yards in his backfield, Penn State probably still scores on this play because Khalil Dinkins would have blocked that next edge linebacker that's scraping down, and Nick Singleton gets to that hole before that other guy is able to get over the top of him. So even though that defensive end really does a great job penetrating, if J.B. Nelson can just not get blown up here, you're in the end zone for a touchdown. So that's what happened on first and goal. And then, and, and these again, we'll try to put these on social media. I know we didn't do it last week, but we'll try this week uh, to get them on social media. Let, let's go to second down now. Yeah, and I just want to say, we still gained a yard on that play anyway. Yeah. So if we just have another guy do his job, but here we go. Yeah, this is this is to me interesting because we hadn't seen them do this yet. And the fact that they went to this on second and goal instead of trying to power it in yet again 
kind of told me that they weren't feeling very confident as far as trying to run this in for a touchdown, which, so they go play action right off the bat. Uh, this time they have Newton lined up over the center and uh, he blows up pretty well, but all in all, pretty well done, pretty well blocked. And Catron Allen is open. Now, if this ball is thrown to Nick Singleton, it's probably a touchdown because Singleton probably creates a little bit more separation. But all in all, this is pretty well defended, and it's going to take a good ball to beat them, but a good ball is delivered, and Catron Allen just simply isn't able to hold on to it. So all in all, good job by the defense. They, they didn't bite too hard and sell out on the run. Uh, good pass by Drew Aller was going to require a really tough catch, but one you'd like to see. But all in all, just a good play by both teams, and it was going to take a tough catch and, and, and didn't work out for him. Yeah, this is well defended because they're obviously pay, playing the run. I mean, nine times out of ten that we're in the trout wide formation, we're going to run the ball. Uh, Aller does a good job with the fake, uh, sells it pretty nicely. Um, that guy stays right with Catron and just falls through his hands. And yes, it would have been a tough catch, but if you look at the, if you look at the other angle, I mean, Drew dropped it in. That was either either the pass to uh, Clifford the Younger or here. Those are just two of the best passes of the day. It's just yeah. too bad that we couldn't uh, we couldn't get it done there. Right. So second goal went pass. Good play by the defense. Didn't sell out. Great throw. Tough catch, but one you like to see happen. Let's go to third and goal. Let's see if I can get third and goal. Okay, so third and goal now. Now, this is interesting. So they start out in T formation, and now they're going to shift, which, again, is very interesting to me because they threw two wrinkles on back-to-back plays from the T formation instead of liking what they saw and just running their normal off-tackle off run. So now they go to this kind of single form formation. They got the the H back there, and they're gonna run sweep. Except they run sweep to the short side of the field. Now this is the NFL. That doesn't make much of a difference. Hash marks make a difference in college football. And not only are they gonna run sweep, but they're actually gonna run this sweep towards Newton, which I really disagree with. So they run sweep towards Newton. And right from the get-go, I mean, it's just completely blown up. There was no, no chance for Nick Singleton. I don't care who the running back is. They're not going to score here. But again, look at the quick penetration inside. Right when Singleton has this football, it's already over. I mean, again, one offense lineman's three yards in the backfield. Uh, tight end was unable to set the edge very well. Wasn't able to even wash them out to create an alley. Nothing. I mean, just just a jumbled mess. Good um back scraping by number 49 and even the safety stays with drew Aller, just in case it was like some sort of throwback pass i mean this was very well disciplined very well coached and they swarmed to the football and and really had nothing going on here so credit illinois but again first time we've ever seen really this much penetration when penn state's been trying to run the t formation down by the goal line yeah, you could tell Illinois prepared extensively for this. They probably even prepared in camp for this because, like Corey said, it's just very well coached. I didn't even notice the guy stayed with Aller. That was a good job by Corey uh, because you never know. I mean, Mike Yurcich gets creative, and there could be a throwback. Uh, and then it's very well executed by them. I mean, Johnny Newton, he wins three straight reps here against our most effective formation. 
And the rest of the guys do a very good job, too, of just getting to that ball. Um, yeah, I agree. Like the flex, you know, our guys flex out of the T formation. They go over to the left uh, to the, you know, to the short side of the field. I might have went the other way and maybe tossed the ball to and maybe tossed the ball to Singleton and try to have him beat the guys to the the pylon. But I'm not Mike Yersich. No, and, and we're going to flip over to talk defense now. But I wanted to open the discussion with just one play that we saw from Illinois. It's not even a special play. But why I want to highlight this play is because this is what I think you're going to see from Michigan. And to be honest with you, I think Illinois saw the Michigan game last year. And they said, we're going to try to do exactly what Michigan did. And that is spread out this Penn State defense and then try to run inside zone against them. And and that's basically what they did. So even against an attacking blitz, Illinois is able to pick up a big chunk here and have a big play. And this is kind of what makes Penn State fans nervous. But again, you're risking a lot in order to get a big tackle for a loss to set up a big third down. And instead, you choose the wrong hole. You get washed out. They block it really well. The cutback lane's there. Uh, King is late to get over the top. And Illinois picks up a big game. And at first, you're worried if you're a Penn State fan that this is this is what's going to be coming all game long. But to me, this is what you're going to see from Michigan this year is exactly this kind of stuff. I think a lot of people thought that like Michigan's going to try to like line up eye formation and just run it at them. Like that is not what Michigan did against Penn State last year. What the very first play that Illinois ran was actually that same buck sweep that Michigan ran multiple times. Same play that West Virginia ran, mind you, against Penn State. This is what Michigan is going to want to do. If you want to focus on what Michigan did and how to beat Michigan, you have to find a way to be six or five guys in the box to defend against this spread look and find a way to stop the run. And in this time, they didn't do a good job doing it. Now, at later points, they did do it. I'll have it on the film analysis. But I just wanted to show that because early on, I was like, this is exactly out of the Michigan playbook, and this is what you should expect from the Wolverines, um, I guess, a month from now. Almost a month and a half from now. Yeah, no doubt. And something that we've given Jim Harbaugh a lot of credit for is when it comes to run plays, he is as creative as they come. Like, you know, Ryan Day gets a lot of credit for the pass plays and what a great play designer he is. And he and he is brilliant when it comes to play design for passes. Uh, But there's something to be said about being a great play designer for runs. And yeah, Illinois, uh, we we said going into this they do a lot of what Michigan does. Now they don't have the horses to, to, to do it as effectively, but they're going to try to do a lot of that same stuff. And right there is a good example. And um, uh, even though Kobe King played a good game, I thought on Saturday, I thought he played at times very, very well. That was a play, you know, he'd probably want to have back just to be able to get to that cutback lane quicker. But at the same time, he was in a tough position because they because they they executed so well up front. And like you said, poor gap discipline. And then that that puts that that puts your mic in a precarious spot there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Let's talk defense. We talked about the turnovers. Penn State now back in uh, I think they're third now 
in turnover margin. Again, they haven't, knock on wood, uh, given up any footballs yet. And I think they're like 11th in just overall takeaway. So they've jumped back up the charts after two really good weeks there. Um, random thought, but if Penn State, again, no jinx, but if Penn State can get through Iowa without turning the football over, I'd be very, very impressed. And so uh, I had a little itch there in my foot for people watching on a live stream. But um, just just a side note there. But no, the turnovers happened. Big shout out to Dom DeLuca because you'll you'll see the film later on next tomorrow. But Dom DeLuca didn't just come off the edge to make that play. He actually makes a guy miss, drops his shoulder, gets into the backfield, and then puts you know puts a great tackle on that running back. So fantastic job by him. That wasn't just a routine play. That was an excellent play by Dom DeLuca. That's twice now he's really made some some big moments. Uh, in his past two games. So go buy his sauce, of course. But very, very happy for him. Um, I thought overall, since we talked to linebackers, let's just stick with linebackers. Overall, I thought the linebackers were better. Uh, the the touchdown play that Illinois had, the first rushing touchdown, Curtis Jacobs gets washed really bad. But he also had a really good blitz on a third and five that rushed Altmeyer and forced a bad throw that a little bit sooner than he wanted to get rid of it. And actually, Illinois had the blockers to block, but it was actually a really good stunt by Curtis Jacobs. So that was good. Obviously, Carter, uh, I thought Carter cleaned up things. Some Sometimes a play might have gone for more, and he was able to attack, like chase down a running back and make a play and just close on him. And then obviously the interception, he actually did a really good fake bluff on the blitz and then really got depth. People are going to say the throw was right to him, yes, but he got a lot of depth in order to be in that lane. Um, so so happy with, with, with him there. Um, I think Tyler Ellison still struggled at times. Uh, I thought King, especially in the first half, actually played really well. I thought he had some really great moments there. Um, so that's – and I thought Rojas had some good moments late as well. So that those are my thoughts on the linebackers, Sean. Yeah, I thought that was Kobe King's best game so far. And, um, you know, people and you could forget that um, he had the fumble recovery, too. I mean, Dom DeLuca caused that fumble, uh, but Kobe King was Johnny on the spot. And, um, yeah, I thought the whole game he was he was very effective. He had eight tackles. One of them was for a loss. Um, Keon Wiley, I thought he played well uh, late in the game. When he got in, uh, I, I think, and going back to that Mike battle between Elston and King, I think it's been won by King. Uh, Elston did not play as much on Saturday. I think they are slowly handing the reins over to Kobe King uh, to be that mu- that main guy at the Mike spot. Elston's still going to play when he needs a blow, but it, it's it's King's job now in, in my mind. Uh, I thought that was Abdul Carrier's best game of the season. Uh, so far, um, played a more fundamentally sound game, uh, was all, but was still all over the field. So he still played within himself without being, without being reckless. Uh, and Corey made a good point on the interception. It was right to him, but you know, it's not always easy for a linebacker to be in pass coverage. And last year, actually, that was probably the biggest thing that he had to work on in the offseason because the, the Evan Hall play from Northwestern, if you remember that, he kind of he kind of got caught with his hand in the cookie jar a little bit. So that's some growth from him. 
So that was nice to see. And yeah, I thought Curtis Jacobs had it had a nice game as well. So overall, I I was very happy with the linebackers. Yeah, let's go defensive line next. Overall, I thought the defensive line played well. Again, people like to to pick and choose when to complain about the defensive line and when they want to bring up the the size issue again. No one's really complaining about the size this week. I haven't heard nearly as many rumblings this week about the size, and I hate to break it to everybody. Illinois' offensive line just as big as most of the other offensive line Penn State's are going to Penn State's defense is going to see. So, don't love the size argument and didn't hear much of that size argument this, you know, this Sunday, uh, at least on the Twitter sphere. Overall, again, I thought they did some good things. That that one rushing touchdown, uh, Deny Dennis Sutton got washed pretty well. But Deny Dennis Sutton also had some really good other moments. Uh, Kaziah Izzard back from, they called it an injury for Hardy. And they, I don't know if they specifically called it an injury for Izzard or an injury for uh, for Vanover. But um, Izzard's back from whatever the reason was. And he had two sacks. So that's nice to see. And uh, and I thought Beeman played one of his better games as well. So and Job Robinson continues to dominate. I know he maybe doesn't have the stats yet, but he's getting held a lot and he's really being effective in the run game. If you're a pulling guard trying to trap Chop Robinson, look out because he is coming and he is coming now and, and, and he's hitting people right in their thighs and he's blowing up trap plays to his side of the field, which is fantastic to see. Uh, it's it's textbook from that perspective. So. Um, very happy as far as that overall, again, look, did they have moments where Illinois ran the football? Well, yes. At the end of the day, 62 yards on the ground, 2.2 yards per carry. I think Sean, I really don't know what else you want them to do on the road against a Brett Bielema led offense that notoriously wants to run the football and knew they were going to challenge you running the football. People are like, oh, well, Illinois got away from the run. If they would have stuck with the run, they would have been successful. Um, Go back and watch that first quarter again. They tried to run the football, and a lot of times they struggled after that first drive. So go back and watch the tape again. Penn State did enough to slow down and stymie that rushing attack, and and they saw the benefits from it. Yeah, don't forget they're playing from behind uh, pretty much the whole game. So when you're playing from behind – you can't really rely on a run game as much. Um, yeah, I thought the defensive line played very well. Very, very well. They were after Altmeyer the whole game, and I think they flustered him. They forced a lot of those mistakes. If you go back and uh, watch uh, some of a couple of those interceptions, uh, he was running for his life where he was about to get hit. Um the, the, the one, especially Carter's interception, Johnny Dixon had, he pressured the quarterback. Usually that's flipped. That'd be Abdul Carter applying the pressure, but we like to blitz a lot of different guys. So, um, yeah, they, they were in the backfield pretty much the whole game. Uh, we finished with three sacks on the day. Um, I thought Adisa Isaac, he continues to string games together. I think he's been maybe the most consistent guy on this team so far this season. I think he's played well in all three games. Um, Deny Dennis Sutton was all uh, also played a really good game. I think Izzard's presence 
both from a run defense perspective and from rushing the quarterback was felt. I mean, he's not really even known specifically to be a great pass rusher, but he still had two sacks from the defensive tackle position. So, um, yeah, overall, very, very happy with how they played. I know that first drive, okay. I mean, I, I, I feel like for 62 yards, I mean, probably 20-some of those were on that first drive. And then 20 other, uh, 20, 20 more yards came on that play where the pocket broke down. There was nowhere to go, and Altmaier picked up 20 of 22 yards that he needed to get the first down on a third and 22 play. So if you take if you take that first drive out and you take that play out, I mean, what, they finished with like 20 rushing yards. So, I mean, I'm all right with criticizing the run defense when they should be criticized. I am. But I'm not going to criticize them this week. I mean, I'd be like, for what? The, the touchdown we gave up was ugly early in the early in the first uh, in the first half. Uh, but outside of that, I mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't really know what you I don't really know what you want. Yeah. Again, they make plays as well. Uh, Penn State tied for 15th right now in sacks. They have 10 on the season. Updating everybody. I said that they would get to 50 as my bold prediction. So they are a fifth of the way there through three games. So they are one just a little bit behind schedule or a quarter of the way through the regular season now, and they are a fifth of the way to my bold prediction. So a smidgen behind, but still plenty of time. There's still some some teams on the schedule where Penn State can get there the rest of the way. I, I need Keaton Ellis to get going on some turnovers. You got one for me, but yeah. Let's go well, let's talk, about, let's talk about the safeties next because I thought K.J. Winston played really well. Um I thought Keaton Ellis actually had a rough day, at least on that one drive. He had he got his his boots shaken and stolen from him uh, once that running back got to the the second level there, or it was a pass. I, I don't remember exactly. Was that a it was a screen? It was a screen. Um, he got just juked really bad, and then on the touchdown run, he got ran over. So back to back is not good plays there for Keaton Ellis. Not going to take that much more than it happened and move on because he's done some really good things. But that's one of the things you'd like to forget. But otherwise, the defensive backs, again, super contagious as far as the turnovers go. I mean, just once somebody got one, they all got them. And and so uh, Johnny Dixon, Cam Miller, and Daquan Hardy all getting interceptions in the secondary. The only other thing I need to note is I was a little bit disappointed with Kalen King's tackling ability. There's that one notable play where Curtis Jacobs kind of gets an arm on the running back, but then Kalen King really has a good chance to get him in the backfield, and Abdul Carter cleaned up that play after the running back got the first, but you'd like to see Kalen King make that play in the backfield. Um, on that screen play, too, that that Keaton Ellis got his boots shaken, it's kind of hard for Kalen King maybe to make a play because he had the wall of blockers in front of him. But still, you'd like to see him, you know, think about the Ohio State game where he was just blowing up wide receiver screens left and right. You kind of want to maybe see that same attack. Same thing from the safety in that perspective. Nobody really came screaming up there. Keaton Ellis was late getting there. Um, 
So I guess my two things I'd like to see is just, just Ellis have a better day. And I think Kalen King, this is not the first time this year we've kind of been wondering if he could tackle just a little bit better. Yeah, Kalen had, has had better games uh, for sure. Uh, there, there's a play that he got caught a little bit in pass coverage as well. Um, and, and yeah, but overall, I mean, I'm not going to complain all that much about him. <laughs> um, uh, KJ Winston, I think a big part of that game was the, that missing the field goal uh, in the first and that first drive because Illinois, they got into our territory pretty quick. And the reason it was a long field goal was KJ Winston made back to back big plays. Uh, he made a big play in, um, he made a big tackle and then he had a pass breakup. So, I mean, big stuff from that young, from the young buck. Uh, Zaki Wheatley did have a dropped interception overall. He had, he had a, he, he had, he had quite a few tackles. So I thought he played, I thought he played a pretty good game. Uh, Jalen Reed again, uh, kind of like a D size. Like I think one of the more consistent guys on the team, uh, you just know what you're going to be getting from him week to week. And that's always nice. Uh, Daquan Hardy, uh, made his presence known. Uh, remember, I was president of the Daquan Hardy fan club last season. Now he had some ups and downs last season, but that's Daquan Hardy. We all, you know, that we all know um, could really blanket a guy in coverage. And then he had that interception along the side, along the sideline. Um, and yeah, Johnny Dixon continues to play at, in in my mind, uh, potential all big 10 level. So I've been more than impressed with how he's progressed this season. I I remember in the preseason show, um, I was wondering how he was going to progress from being an average player in 2021 to becoming a good player in 2022. Can he make that next step and become a and become an All Big Ten player? And I think he's on his way to do to doing that. Another thing about Hardy, too, and Manny Diaz even said this, him being out there lets them do different things defensively because they trust him in the slot, notably against Isaiah Williams. When he was out there, they felt he could lock up Isaiah Williams one-on-one, which is saying something. You're basically saying your third best corner is able to lock up their number one wide receiver. Now, I know Williams likes to be out of the slot and Hardy likes to be out of the slot, but still, that's saying something that they have that level of trust, and it allowed them to be more flexible on defense. And I think you saw the the effects of that. So I think that's very important to bring up. Um, I'm just looking yeah. around some – go ahead, sorry. Yeah, it's not easy to play in the slot. I mean, there's a lot of physicality that comes with, with being a slot corner, and not everybody can handle that. Now, not every slot corner can handle playing on the outside either uh, because there's a certain degree of athleticism that you need. Uh, but Daquan Hardy, he is exactly what you want in a slot corner. Go ahead. No, I'm just looking. They are currently right now 86 in the country in passes defended with 11. And passes broken up, they are at uh, 112th with 6th. So from a statistics standpoint, they actually haven't really impressed that much. Um, but interception-wise, they are... Where are they at? They are tied for 11th with five interceptions so far this year. So early on, but 
they don't have that Purdue game that Purdue threw the ball 50 times on their that gave them a lot of pass defenses. They've actually kind of gone up against teams that like well, West Virginia and Illinois definitely like to try to throw the ball or run the ball, excuse me. Um, Delaware does like to throw the ball, but Delaware is a little bit different story. Um, the only other thing I wanted to show about the defense that I wanted to mention, um, I guess two more things. Number one, I think the second team still has some work to do. They, they kind of, again, same thing as last week. You don't want to see a late touchdown. And, and honestly, same thing with West Virginia the week before. So, um, I guess there wasn't a late touchdown against Delaware, but they, I felt like they moved the ball a little bit on them. And then the late touchdown against West Virginia. The other thing I wanted to mention, and I'm not going to freak out about it yet, but good third down conversion percentage allowed. Right now, they've only allowed four trips to the red zone, but those four trips to the red zone have resulted in 100% touchdowns. And I'm not going to freak out yet because they are tied for fourth in the nation with red zone attempts allowed. Some teams have three, and then like four teams have four. So they're doing a good job keeping teams out of the red zone. But when they get in the red zone, we always stress the importance of holding them to field goals. The sample size is very, very small right now. Um, but just something to keep an eye on moving forward here. Are they able to you know, bend but not completely break once they get inside the red zone, once the offense gets inside the red zone? Just something to keep an eye on. We're quarter of the way through the season, and they've only allowed four attempts. But uh, this next quarter, we'll have a pretty good idea whether or not they're, they're a good red zone defense or not. Yeah, yeah, you're going to find that out pretty quick because, um, you know, Delaware, well, they didn't spend any time in the red zone. They had that one long run. So really, we've only had two games worth of teams going to the red zone, and neither of these teams uh, went there that much. And uh, both Illinois and um, West Virginia, two of those times were against backup players. So we just don't have a good gauge on that as of yet. Uh, but obviously, you'd rather them kick field goals than score touchdowns. Um, but yeah, I mean, do we want to talk special teams or we did already talk about kickers a little bit? Yeah, I think punting, Riley Thompson did a good job. He didn't stick out. So I think that was good there. He had a couple more punts than usual. and He was consistent, which I thought was important. So no issue there. Uh, we mentioned Caden Saunders. I thought he did a really good job punt return again for like, what, the third time now. A defender's been in his way, and he's been able to get out of that guy's way and still catch the football, which I'm always curious. Like, if he just runs into that guy, is that a penalty on their on them? Like, I don't know how that works. Like, if their guy's standing still, but he's running to get to the ball, I would assume that's still kick-catcher interference, right? You're literally interfering with the guy getting to the ball. I don't know how that works. It's kind of like when basketball players like run into a guy and try to get the and one. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes they get it too. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know exactly how that works, but he's done a good job catching the football, which seems obvious for a punt returner, but he hasn't, I don't think he's let the ball bounce yet. I don't know. I'm pretty sure, but, but, but yeah, he's done a fantastic job and it is a, difficult thing to catch a punt i think we've talked about this before but it is so much harder to catch a punt than it is a kick when you're catching a punt you have everybody first off it's a shorter field 
So they're not coming from what 70 yards away at you. They're coming from about 30 yards away. And if you're really fast, you're going to get there very, very soon. And for Caden Saunders to have the confidence in himself to be able to go and get that ball, not muff it, and very often get something out of it, um, that's that's extremely helpful. And that's all you're looking for in a punt returner. Well, I mean, you're looking for the long return, too. But the first thing you look for is to be able to catch the ball and give your offense a chance to do to, to go to work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And and in the kick return game, I thought they actually were close to breaking a couple. They had one kick return. I think Singleton got all the way out to the 35, 40-ish yard line. And so um, haven't broke one yet, but that seemed to be a little bit better this week, too. Yeah, they're close. They're close. And there were a couple times that Gabe didn't make it into the end zone or they or he did make it into the end zone on kickoffs. But we've covered every kickoff very, very well. Um, And God, it kind of takes me back to the sanction years where you're always holding your breath because we didn't we just didn't have the athletes to be able to cover kicks. And I mean, it is just a big departure from those days. I mean, guys like. DeLuca, I mean, they thrive getting down that field and making a tackle. Uh, that's why he wears number zero. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, let's get in the fan questions if you're ready, Sean. Let's do it. Should I do the little fun? See if you can hear this or not. Oh, shoot, that's the wrong one, huh? Yeah, it's film room. Got the... Okay, sorry. There we go. There we go for this week. What was that? Apropos for this week. Yeah. We, uh... Whatever. Figuring it out. Let's uh let's get into some fan questions. A lot of fan questions. Gonna go to Instagram first because Tyler is the only one to ask us questions on Instagram, so he automatically basically makes it every week because we like Tyler. Um, he has a lot to say. Um, did Drew Aller's footwork look terrible, or is that just me? How can your stitch help him improve that moving forward? Thanks as always, guys. There were times where he definitely threw from a off base or, or not from a, a solid platform that maybe he probably could have. I think maybe he can get away with a little bit more than, say, a Sean Clifford or a Trace McSorley because of his stature. But yes, I wouldn't say footwork as much as it was his stance and where he had his foot, like his feet placed beforehand. I, I think his base was off and he threw off his back foot sometimes. I don't necessarily know if it was his footwork that needs to be worked on as much as he just needs to maybe not throw off his back foot or or maybe be rattled as much. But he can get away with it more than a lot of other people can. He also threw from the run a little bit too. 
Yeah, he'll throw off his back foot occasionally. Uh, even when he's playing well, he will do that. Um, like Corey said, a strong-armed quarterback generally could get away with that a little bit more. Uh, but it will it could affect his accuracy. And I think at times Drew's accuracy uh, wasn't particularly good on Saturday. Um, so yeah, could it, the answer is could it be fixed? Yes. Um, you know, and that just takes reps and it just takes more consistency and uh, more, you know, just and just more work on your fundamentals. But yeah, that's something that could be fixed in my mind. You're muted. Thank you. Um, let's go to Twitter now at Hardcore PSUFB. You can find all of the threads to ask your questions. And let's go through a couple of these. Um, this is from Mark Thomas. How ready is the interior defensive line for a heavy dose of this formation? And he shows an Iowa formation that has one wide receiver and three tight ends and a running back single formation. Um, good offensive lines travel no matter what the environment. So, Sean, how ready is this defensive line for a heavy dose of the 13 personnel? I think they're somewhat ready. Um, a lot of it depends, you know. I, I've been beating the drum about middle linebacker. I mean, Iowa hasn't run the ball particularly well this year. Uh, that's kind of the dirty secret of the last two years of Iowa football is this offensive line is not your older brother's Iowa offensive line. There's no Tristan Worfs on this offensive line for Iowa. So do I think we have the guys to match up against them? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why Iowa only scores – what, uh, that they've scored under 30 points a game for how many years now under Brian Ferentz? I mean, if it was if it was that difficult to stop, they'd be scoring a whole lot more than they have. So, yeah, I think we have the guys to do it. I think we could be ready. I think it's a matter of execution. I think it's a – and I also – I would like to see a little less stunting from the defensive line. I think if there's a valid criticism with how this defensive line plays at times, it's that Manny Diaz loves to stunt, and I get it because you do have the opportunity to drop uh, the running backs for losses. But maybe for a team like an Iowa, like a Michigan, maybe not don't stunt as much. Yeah, Iowa is 80th right now in yards per carry in the country. There you go. If you're just curious about that. Let's go to an interesting question here. Are we forcing the running game too much? If teams want to stack the box, make them pay and fear the deep ball. And we had a lot of questions about the deep ball. And uh, this question from Rich Shell, will our offensive coordinator finally open up the playbook? or just run delayed handoffs up the middle and forget about the tight end position. So multiple things really about opening up the play play and maybe are we're being too conservative at this point, Sean. 
Well, I mean, I don't really think the tight ends are necessarily being forgotten about. Uh, in the first game, yeah, they didn't get many targets. But, I mean, Tyler Warren has been getting, you know, a decent share of targets. Theo Johnson, okay, maybe not so much. But I, I, I think we've I think we've done a pretty good job at targeting the tight ends. But what I will say is, yes, I think this is off. I think we need to open it up a little bit more. Uh, we have this big arm quarterback who, you know, last season they were telling us if they put him in over Sean Clifford, you know, there was going to be manna falling from heaven and the, the, all these deep balls were going to be coming out the wazoo. And look, we're in year two of Drew Aller being on campus and we haven't seen it yet. And to me, I'm like, why? <laughs> I mean, we his first drive of his of his uh, of his career starting is a touchdown to Keandre Lambert Smith, where he just rifles it into him, and that's the last time we went down. It seems that we went downfield, and I do think it's partly on the play calling, and I think it could partly be on Drew. I think perhaps. He has to work a little bit on anticipation. And like Keandre Lambert Smith was his first read on his missed touchdown. He looked him off. I think he looked him off too quick. And I think he has to work on anticipation and being a little bit more patient. And sometimes if you're patient on those deep balls, they're going to be there. And you have to give your guy just just look a little a, a little while longer and you would have saw him sprinting down the field for an easy touchdown. So part of it's probably on the play calling being too conservative, but also part of it's on Drew for not looking downfield as much as I think he should be. Yeah, and I think that's going to come. I'm not I'm not ready to pull the the fire alarm on on this. I I'm confident Mike Yurcich will figure this out. I, I am not freaking out yet and to be honest with you i don't know if you're going to see much difference against iowa because again iowa is trying not to give up the big play i and, i yep that's a good point and so i'm not necessarily sure you're going to see that like they are going to try to play kind of like what delaware did and make penn say go on eight ten yard or eight to ten play drives in order to score and really just play too high safety and they'll say fine just methodically beat us and see who can methodically have more successful drives. And if you have more than us, great, you win, but we're not going to just give you a freebie. And so I hate to break it to you, but you might not see that against Iowa. You might not see them open up things more. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe Iowa comes out and challenges the receivers. We'll have to wait and see. No, that's a good point, Corey. It's probably not going to be this week uh, because that's exactly what Iowa tries to prevent. Let's go to um, lots of good questions here. Uh, you know what? I And I want to shout out to 734 Nittany Lion, too, because they also asked, are we being gun shy, not really taking shots? Um, has there even been a 50-50 ball yet? We already answered that. But again, another question about that. Um, just maybe we'll wrap it up with with this question, because I think it does pertain. Lucas Powers, longtime listener to the show, says, 
how do we fix our red zone offense? And this to me is actually very notable because obviously we showed today in the film room the Trotwine T formation struggled against Illinois for the first time ever. They haven't necessarily had a bunch of success in the red zone at this point. And maybe your best red zone threat that you had at the wide receiver position, Mike McLean, has dropped a couple passes. And Trey Wallace is at this moment not healthy. So I think the answer is obvious to tight ends. But I don't think it's a dire situation yet. But it's one to definitely monitor moving going forward. Yeah, I mean, the I think the the, the uh, drive that we got stuffed with the T formation, I believe the play that set that up was a pass to Tyler Warren. And yeah, I mean, um, the tight ends are the ones that are supposed to be getting the ball in the red zone. Um, I think, yeah, I think tight ends, I think execution I uh, think back to the West Virginia game. I mean, Mike Yersich called two plays that should have went for touchdowns on one drive, and neither of them did. So uh, you, you find we finally had the T formation snuffed out uh, by somebody, so that contributed as well. And um, the 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 kick before halftime, did we kick it on fourth down? I don't remember. No. No? Okay. So clock ran I mean, out. We, yeah, we that, ran that, one that play. Drive, the clock ran out. Yeah, we ran one That's play right. and had to throw it out of bounds. That's right. So I mean that play that that time, you know, we just ran out of time. So I think, you know, it's it's not dire, but it is something you want to see you want to see improve because you know, touchdowns and field goal uh, you know, the four points that's the difference in winning and losing some of these games that we're going to be having that we're going to have coming up. Yeah. Just to give you the numbers, Penn state's 21st right now in touchdown percentage, red zone scored at 77.78%. But if you just take out that last one where that you were just discussing with where they had to kick a field goal because the time was running out, that would put them at, let's see here. I can do 17, 8, so it'd be 17 and 14. So they would be now at 82% touchdown percentage. And 82% would put them top 15 in the country at 82%. Um, so, you know, they're not bad. They're top 25 regardless right now in red zone touchdown percentage. Can it be better? Yes, but I'm not. I'm not again too worried yet. If you can run the ball, run the ball. But you have the weapons in the tight ends and in dire situations, even Bo Perbula, which they haven't gone to yet to maybe improve that. But they actually have a bunch of attempts. They actually have the fifth most attempts in the red zone too at 18. So they've yeah. gotten in the red zone a bunch compared to a lot of teams. Don't forget those numbers are inflated a little bit playing Delaware. Um, You know, the West Virginia game, that was one of the things that I didn't like from that game was the red zone efficiency. Um, And we didn't score a touchdown on every trip to the red zone this week. Um, But yeah, I mean, is it dire? Would I describe it as, you know, red alarm? No. Um, 
but it is something that I also would like to see improvement on. You brought up Bro, you you brought up Bo. Do you think we brought him in too early? No, I didn't think so either. I don't like the plays we call with him though. I don't think you bring him in to run the same six plays. Um, I just I... but. I didn't have a problem with them getting in the game. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you do because I don't know how good of a passer he is. And maybe you want to see that. But at the same time, you want to keep that clock going if you can. So I don't know. It's an interesting interesting conversation to be had. But I honestly am not going to say that people that wanted to see Drew for one more series are wrong because you maybe do want to see them get some momentum if you can. But there's no problem promise that one more drive is going to do that anyway and again if he gets hurt or something in the fourth quarter i mean all of a sudden people turn around right on james franklin and blame him so i'm okay with either or at least for one more drive but again go back to 2021 you want to have your backup quarterback prepared you got to get him more reps didn't get any reps last year. So he's kind of behind still as far as getting reps. So you get the fourth quarter and you have a two-score lead with your defense. James Franklin has now done it twice. He's been willing to put his his backups in. Yeah, and those reps are valuable, right? And I think James Franklin, he would never admit this. I think he has some regrets with how he handled that whole Iowa situation and the Roberson situation. And he should have played him more, even if and I don't think Taquan Roberson was particularly good um, at all. But still, I mean, the false starts, you just you couldn't have out at Iowa. But we're going to avenge that this week, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, no, no, for for sure. I, I, I totally get it. And uh, I'm not I'm not opposed to it at all. Um, that's what we have for today's show. Thank you so much for listening. Please, if you haven't already, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast wherever you're listening to the podcast. If you're watching on YouTube, please make sure you've liked the video and subscribed. Those help us out tremendously. Um, If you haven't listened to the other episodes of the other shows on state media, go check out the Lions Den with Aeneas Hawkins, um, who is going to be our guest picker this week. So Aeneas Hawkins will be on the show on Wednesday as our guest picker. And, um, Go check out The Pocket with Brandon Bell, who was on the show last week, and Christian Hackenberg. I'm sure they'll have another episode this week as well. So um, shout out to Micah Parsons for continuing to dominate the NFL. And um, we will be back Wednesday to break down Iowa and really get into the whiteout. I have the windows open here, Sean, and you can just you can smell the excitement in the air. I'm sure you can, uh, especially being in state college like you are. Uh, also, we're hoping Safe Long gets back soon. I think he'll be out three weeks. Hopefully, he gets healthy. Yeah, yeah, good point there. Good point there. Uh, never like to see that. Anything else, Sean, before we uh, get out of here? No, I think we'll. So, we'll see you guys on Wednesday at 7. Wednesday so, at 7. It's a, it's a day square. Whiteout week is upon us. For Sean Kane, I'm Corey Lestoki. You've been listening to Hardcore Penn State Football. See you later. Alligator. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody.